Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here this Sunday morning to worship with us. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the extra hour of sleep. I always look forward to this Sunday in the fall because it means less of you will be napping during my sermon. So it's wonderful. Um, you know, we, uh, we had the special privilege this week. I don't know if you caught it, but we were featured, our ministers featured on WYL AM 1160. Uh, it was just a God thing how that worked out. <clears throat> but I couldn't be more prouder of this church, of West Sub and the people here. I really could not. I mean, uh, I, it, you know, being together for that and hearing from each other and supporting one another as we did that evening, uh, I, Dennis and I both said, wow, you just don't, you don't see the collective uh, dynamic of the church at work. We're all doing our separate ministries, and for me personally, I know Dennis as well, just so encouraging, so refreshing to be together in, in, during that time together and to hear from one another. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I encourage you to do so. Um, it's available online without commercial. All you got to do is get the link from me. If you, if you didn't get it in the email, I'd be happy to get that to you, but I hope you can listen to that. It'll give you a great appreciation for the people who are here. Uh, as West Suburbs. So thank you for all the leadership who've uh, taken part in that. You did a great job, and I'm so proud of this church. I'm so happy to be part of it. I always have. I've been here 24 years, and I'm just as excited to be a part of this ministry as I was when I started, I think. So thank you so much. Well, uh, it's time for the sermon, and uh, I talked to Jill and the junior church people on Saturday and uh, they let me know I go a little long for them downstairs. <laughs> so I promised them I watch the clock. I tell the preachers just get carried away sometimes, but I'm going to try to do a better job. Uh, so God bless those guys down there. They do a fantastic job. Uh, and uh, if you, if you uh, have a bulletin, there's an insert in there to follow along with the message today. If you'd like to have an insert, didn't get one, our ushers be happy to help you right now. Uh, if you'd like to borrow a Bible, feel free to raise your hand for that as well. We're going to be in the Paul's letter to the Galatians in the New Testament today in chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, uh, please make your way to Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> well, a little family was getting, getting together for dinner with some friends one night and Four-year-old Susan was helping her mother set the table before the guests arrived for dinner. After the guests had arrived and everybody was seated around the table, the mother looked over at Susan and said, Hey, uh, Susan, you didn't put a knife and fork next to Mr. Smith's place. Susan said, Well, Mommy, I didn't think he needed one. Daddy says he always eats like a horse. <laughs> Ouch. <clears throat> You know, sometimes uh, metaphors, though, uh, tell us and point to the truth about something. In fact, some truths that we find in scriptures are so profound and far-reaching that the only way I think we can understand and appreciate them is through analogy or metaphor. I think that's what's happening in Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, where Paul picks up on the analogy of sonship uh, to describe 
our new relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where we left off in Galatians 4. God gives us a new status as his sons when we believe in Jesus. I want to pick it up again today and talk for a few minutes about that again before we continue on in the rest of the chapter. So if you follow along in Galatians chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, we'll read the, the passage and then we'll talk about it for just a few minutes today. Paul says, now, as I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And stop there. It's been a couple weeks since we were in this passage, so I want to look at it again just from a little bit different angle. But Paul explains here that God sent his son Jesus to redeem us. I hope you didn't miss this. So that. Didn't just send his son so our sins would be. So that he might, we might receive the adoption as sons. The whole purpose of redemption is so God could adopt us as his sons. This is a very, very big deal. The topic of sonship is extremely important in I've been amazed in my 45 years as a, as a believer in Jesus, I can't remember really any, any teaching or preaching on this at all. And I'm, it, I, t- I took a step back. I said, this is huge. Uh, it's not much talked about. <clears throat> so, for instance, uh, the apostles couldn't get over this. This, this just blew them away. For instance, I'll talk about this passage throughout the rest of this sonship time, but uh, the Apostle John in 1 John 3, 1 and 2 says this. See, by the way, this, the word see here in English is really, it's a very emphatic, strong Greek word, behold. <laughs> Get a load of this. Behold how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God. (laughs) And such we are. For this reason, the world doesn't know us. It doesn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Now, there's going to come a time in the next few weeks where I'll zero in more on that passage because it's just amazing uh, what John says there tied into sonship. But just to give you that sense of what the apostles were just overwhelmed with this concept, that our new relationship with God, he's actually adopted us and we can be called the children of God now, that's a big deal. Um, you know, the thing, the problem, and this is what I want to talk about today, is I'm, I'm afraid, because I, I've used myself as an example, I don't think I really thought of it as a big deal. 
Yeah, children of God adopted. Heard about the adoption part of the salvation. Yeah, adoption, a whole list of things that happen to us when we're, we believe in Jesus. And I really didn't give it the weight I think it deserves. <clears throat> uh, so I, I've, I confess what I'm going to do. I hate to do this, but I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to take a little rabbit trail away from Galatians for a few weeks because I think we need to talk about the topic of sonship, our adoption, what drastic change this means in our relationship with God and with each other. The, thing, the problem is I think we take it for granted that we're children of God. You know why? Because everybody thinks we're, we're all children of God, right? It's a common cultural understanding that we are all children of God. Well, maybe let's talk about that first, because it's, yes, on one hand it's true, but on the other hand, the apostles take it one step further. So that's what I want to talk about first. Uh, what does it mean to be children of God? We are all God's children. In the scripture, there are two ways to understand the concept of God as our Heavenly Father. First, there's a sense in which we are, in fact, all God's children by virtue of our creation. God is our creator. We can rightly refer to him as God our Father. He's the source of our existence. He brought us into being. God is the creator of life, the father of all living beings, people and angels. I want you to listen to what Paul said in his great sermon in Athens in Acts 17 to these uh, pagan idolaters <clears throat> And what he says, and I think it brings this out in the middle of his sermon. He says uh, in Acts 17, 25 to 30, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that we would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your poets have said, we are also his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think the divine nature like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Here he's Paul's acknowledging their own cultural understanding that we're all children of God. That's right. We owe our existence to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 5, and 6, Paul says, says it again this way to the Corinthian church. He says, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there's but one God, the Father, from whom all things, and, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and exist through him. And again, Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. One more, Ephesians 4, 6, we have one God, one Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So there is a sense in which it is true. Uh, 
we can rightly call God our Father by virtue of our creation. He created us. We owe our existence to him. But here's the deal. When you come to the New Testament and the, the, uh, God sends his son Jesus, now an amazing thing, the apostles recognize something really drastic and amazing has taken place. We're not just his children by virtue of creation anymore. Something more can happen. There's a profound difference in radical change that we would be called now his sons. <laughs> that's, we're gonna, that's what we're going to talk about next. We can know that God is our creator. Jesus came to redeem us so that we might know him as sons. That's the second way to relate to God as our father, when he adopts us as his sons. So, you know, I believe if we go back to the original creation of Adam and Eve, this is how God created us to know him. Not as creatures, but as sons, his very children. Um, he made us, and these words come to play into that, he made us in his likeness. It's like giving birth to someone, I'm your father. He made us to be people who act like him, personally relate to him, fellowship with him as sons and daughters to their father. And the ideal of sonship began with the creation of Adam and Eve. In fact, in Jesus' genealogy, Luke refers to Adam as the son of God, Luke 3, 38. That's what the original design was all about. But here's the deal. After Adam and Eve sinned, something went tragically wrong in that relationship. And the scriptures say that we, at that moment, the whole human race, we all became by nature children after Adam's likeness, children of wrath, children of disobedience. We lost our intimacy with God and our sonship. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3, here's how Paul describes that. You were dead, your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That was our lot. In a sense, we became children of the devil, sons of him, because our actions reflected his image rather than the creator's. In 1 John 3, 10, John says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. In other words, he's saying, which parent do you, uh, reflects you or do you reflect? Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So there are characteristics of children of our Heavenly Father, and children of the devil. They have likenesses that are manifested through our spiritual DNA, if you will. In fact, Jesus very boldly uh, told the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, well, I'll let you listen to what he said. In John 8, 42 and 44, he said to the Pharisees, who were arguing with him, challenging his claim to deity, actually, Jesus said to him, if God, listen to this, if God were your father, 
you would love me. I proceeded forth and have come from God. I have not even come on my own initiative. He sent me. Now watch this. So listen to this. You, he's talking about human beings. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. Does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He's a liar, the father of lies. Pretty, pretty profound, uh, bold statement. Try to get away with that in our culture today. Well, here's the $100,000 question. How can children of wrath, children of the devil, become sons of the, of a, the Heavenly Father? That's what Paul's addressing in Galatians 4. There's only one way. The Father, get this, I'm going to talk about this in, as we go weeks to come. The, listen to me, adoption, see, I don't have anything much to do with that. If, if I'm a child in an orphanage, somebody has to come and choose me and pull me out of there and love me and take me into their home. That's, the, that's God. It's only one. The Father chooses to adopt us as his sons when we believe in his son, Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Redeemer, died, paid for our sins. That's what Paul's saying here in Galatians. While all of us are children of, of God by creation, the scriptures indicate that some that God chooses to adopt become his sons by redemption. That's Galatians 4. So that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. <clears throat> Again, keep this in mind. I've said this before, I'll probably have to say it a hundred times more. What Paul's talking about in Galatians 3 and 4 is not gender. It's status of our relationship with God. Don't get thrown by the word son. If it helps you, just think of it as daughter, if you're female. Uh, but the reason I say is because in, in Galatians <clears throat> 3, uh, 26, he says, but you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's, there's no slave or free or gentile. The status is the same. And he's using the analogy of son because in the Roman Empire, the son was who received all the benefits and, and inheritance. And that's what happens to us in Jesus when we believe in him. Full rights as sons. That's the analogy. It's not about gender. It's about status. It's about intimacy and personal relationship with the Father in heaven. So you might say, well, how does this concept of adoption as sons is this just something that pulled out of the, Paul pulled out of the air of the New Testament? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. This is, this is across the scripture. Uh, this began, he, God began to adopt people as his sons all the way back when he started with Israel. Well, started with Adam, was his, Luke says he was the son of God, original creation. But then uh, we see that uh, God begins to adopt as his sons the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Uh, in fact, I believe that the, his adoption of Israel as his people 
it is a paradigm, or was a paradigm, for his future adoption of us. God adopted Israel, because look at the parallels. God adopted Israel as his son when he redeemed them from their bondage in Egypt. Listen to what Moses says in Exodus 4. God says to Moses, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel's my son, my firstborn. Let him go. In later, Deuteronomy 14, 1, Moses says, you are, all, you are the sons of the Lord your God. So don't cut yourselves or shave your foreheads for the sake of that. In other words, don't stop acting like the, like the pagan idolaters. God's your father. You're his sons. You need to act like it. You come to Hosea, chapter 1, verse 10, famous passage that uh, Matthew uses in saying Jesus ultimately fulfills it. Uh, Hosea 1.10, Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You, Israel, are the sons of the living God. This is where it all is. It's, it's in the context of the entire scripture. By the way, God also adopted anointed kings in Judah as his sons. 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 14. Uh, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up, he's talking to David, I'll raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. That's the relationship God wants with us, his people. That's it. It, it, it's clear throughout the entire scripture from the very beginning all the way through, and I'll get to it. It ends in Revelation, actually, where we're his sons in a pretty amazing passage. God adopts as sons, if you watch what happened to Israel, he adopts as sons those he redeems and anoints. Oh. They're all ready for it in the New Testament, you see. So again, in Galatians 4, the purpose that God sent Jesus to redeem us was so he could adopt us as his sons. Well, what about Jesus? Wasn't he God's son? I want to talk about that for a second. Uh, Jesus was God's son in a very unique way, not shared by any other human. He was not God's adopted son. Here's how the scriptures describe it. It's a very unique category of son. He, was, he is called the only begotten son of God. Very interesting word in the Greek, monogenes, which means, if I could translate it and paraphrase it, the only one ever born this way, in a category by himself. That's what monogenes means. The only begotten son. He's not adopted. He's very God of very God. Jesus is in his own category, one and only. So whenever you see only begotten, that's what he's talking about. Yes, he's God's son. He's the only begotten son. So you see this happen, especially in John's gospel, chapter 1. 
Verse 14, and the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father. No one has seen God at any time. Verse 18, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him or manifested who he is. And even Jesus referred to himself this way. God so loved the world that he gave his monongenes, the only one ever born this way, his only begotten son. Not an adopted son, his, own, his one and only. From, him, from his own self he gave. See, that's, that's kind of the idea. His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And he who believes in him is not judged he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the Menangenes, the only begotten son of God. Oh, you want to become God's son? Then you must believe in the only begotten son. So believing Jesus is the key to being, actually, Scripture described, being born again, being born into God's family, becoming God's adopted son. That's who he chooses And so, again, sticking with John here, he does a great job of explaining this in the last part of chapter 1, really, uh, of that passage, John 1, 10 to 13. Jesus was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own. His own who were his own didn't receive him. But I'll tell you what, as many as received him, to them God gave the right and authority and privilege to become children of God even to those who believe in his name. Who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So, all I wanted to say today is, <clears throat> there's a sense in which, you know, our cultural understanding is, is true. We are all, in a sense, children of God by virtue of our creation. He brought us into being, our, we owe our existence to him, and we are his children. <clears throat> but we're not his children by nature. By nature. Sin nature. We're children of wrath, children of disobedience. We're reflecting more of the nature of the devil than, than our Heavenly Father. And Jesus was sent to change that. He was. I want my kids back. I want my children back. So he sent his only begotten son to stand in our place, receive what we should have received, and be given what we don't deserve so we could actually, he could adopt us back as his sons, which was his original intent, and which will be, in, when we get to Revelation in the new heavens and new earth, that will be where we'll end up. As John said, well, how wonderful and great it is that we be called the children of God, but I'll tell you what, it's not yet seen what we will be as his sons. So what? So what can we take away from the message today? Three things. Uh, first, if you've never believed in the Son, the only begotten Son, Jesus, that's where I would urge you to begin 
allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life through just simple trust in Jesus and give you new life in him. As Paul says in Galatians 4, when you do that, there's a sense in which you really sense the Holy Spirit is there leading you to cry out, Daddy, Heavenly Father. He'll, He'll give you that witness that you've been made a son, daughter of the living God, restored you to his original intent in relationship. So that's the first thing. Believe in the only begotten son in order to become his adopted son or daughter. The second thing I would say, taking away from today, is this. I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in this truth, and that's why I'm going to spend a few weeks talking about it. I, there, uh, you know, <clears throat> I know I've said this, but I'm just saying it again. I can't think of a sermon series that I've been studying for the last 30 years in ministry that have had the kind of impact that this has had on me. So I'm going to just take some time, and hopefully you'll benefit from this study as well. I hope you do. Uh, It's just had a number of very, very positive effects in my own spirit, in my own life, practically, spiritually, emotionally, and pretty much every way. I even think I'm a better husband. I don't know. Still out. Jury's still out. (laughs) Jury's still out. Uh, But I, one thing I'd say to take away, you could take great comfort in this truth. What's, where's that? Listen to me. Whatever happens in your life, if you are a his adopted son or daughter, you can be sure of this. He's going to treat you as a son and a daughter, not as an enemy or a criminal or somebody needs to be punished. You're his son. And he's going to do what every good father's going to do to take care of you. There's great comfort in this truth, I'm telling you. That's the second thing I take. Let, John says in John 3, 1 and 2, Behold. You know what that means? I, I, I don't want to give away the future sermon. Think about this until it literally just causes you to leap off out of the ground with joy. Behold, how great the love of Father. That we should be called this? Are you kidding me? We're no longer enemies. So here's the word. Keep in mind, we'll be talking about it in weeks to come. He's going to treat you as a son. Don't ever forget that. Or you could say daughter. The third thing I'd say, take away, begin thinking about this, and I'll have a lot more to say about this as we go through. If you address God as your father, then I'd say, here's what the scriptures say, then start to act like it. <laughs> you know, what, what is coming through? Uh, whose phenotype are you manifesting? The admonition of the scripture, you'll see, if you're addressing God as your father, how about starting, that's what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, if God were your father, 
Listen to me. First of all, you would love me. And then you wouldn't be lying or trying to kill me or if God were your father. And John says, you know, the children of the father and the children of the devil are obvious. Just look at what they do. And you can tell their spiritual genetics. So let's think about that. Because the admonition of Scripture is start acting like your father. That's why he adopted us. Take on his likeness. Hopefully many others will be drawn to become his sons and daughters. So today, I hope you take away something to think about, something to begin to ask God to uh, do in your life regarding this whole concept of adoption. I know I have. I've thought a lot about it and how this applies to my life. <clears throat> so for today, we'll call it a day. The junior church people will be thrilled with me. And I'm going to close in prayer. Father, thank you today for your wonderful word, the truth proclaimed about what you've done for us. Thank you that you preserved this inspired word for us so that we wouldn't be in the dark. We wouldn't have to live in uncertainty or doubt or fear because you told us the truth. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So help us, Lord, to live out that truth. All of your spirit to cry out within us and lead us right into the presence of our Heavenly Father and help us to embrace and never get over the fact that you call us sons and daughters of the living God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.